0: Welcome to Diversify the Stand. Together we build a community to listen and learn from the stories and experiences of passionate musicians. I'm Carrie Blosser. And I'm Ashley Killam. In our second season, we talk with musicians, performers, educators, historians, and entrepreneurs to expand how we think of the music we perform and follow non-traditional career paths. This is part two of our conversation with interdisciplinary narrative artist, composer, performer, and scholar, Eris DeJornit. We hope you enjoyed part one of our talk, and we are so excited to continue and share our chat with them. And Eris has a sale happening this month until December 31st, 2021. Listeners can get 50% off two scores with the code name" by visiting Eris's website. The code, website links, and everything can be found in the podcast notes and on our website. Where do you see, or how do you see the future of music moving? in regards maybe to overall inclusivity, gender, race, you name it.
1: Yeah, okay. So I have like a lot of things that are not necessarily all completely related and I probably didn't put them down in the right order. So we'll probably jump around, sorry. Um, (laughs) I think like if, if we wanna like focus on doing it right, right? Because like the future of music and inclusivity is some people are gonna continue doing it very wrong and probably not apologize for far too long. Um, uh, but, but as I've started to get roped into conversations at school and other places, right. People who are like, Hey, you know how to do this. I'm like, well, I mean, I have experience. I really just figuring this out as I go. Um, i'm white so there's like only so much i'm gonna be able to speak to like i think it's it's really important that we start focusing on like setting the groundwork before we just launch stuff because i've seen a lot of things in the last like a couple years especially because i've been like starting to identify them more and talk about them rather than just seeing them go by and be like "Mm mm-hmm. where it's like oh all of a sudden like you're you're doing this thing and there's a very clear misstep in how you've worded it or how you've structured it or like you've very clearly not considered some part of like the what this is going to do as far as consequences for the people that you're trying to involve or include there's not been enough groundwork done to make sure that you have the like the knowledge base to be able to go okay we at least have the understanding of this is how we understand best practices to work in this regard. We have talked to people who actually experience this, um, and are educators on it, or people who are willing to share knowledge that are, that isn't just like, well, this is kind of how I've navigated through it on my own. I've seen a lot of people who are just like, we have to do diversity stuff, and then you just like go and you kind of find yourself course correcting over time, which does a lot of eroding of trust and things like that. Right? Like I, you know. I, but like Ashley, you and I met at IWBC and I've tried to be in conversation with them and was told that they had it covered and it continued to be a problem when like they put out calls. I don't even, I think it was a competition or something like that, right? Of of like something they were looking for submissions for and every marginalized gender identity that they accepted was included as an asterisk after the word woman, which Really speaks to a distinct lack of education because if you have not yet learned to see trans mask folks and trans men and like assigned female at birth non-binary people who are not comfortable being lumped in with women for you know many understandable reasons and for assigned male at birth non-binary people who are maybe not trans feminine who might be a gender or have some other identity right that that doesn't necessarily mean that they you know, like, like, or maybe they just don't change their presentation very much or things like that. Right. That, that isn't a useful term for everybody you're trying to include there. And, you know, like, like having those conversations and then You know usually when that happens and it's like an org that i've you know like been involved with you know like i like send an email i'm like listen i'm like happy to come in and talk like uh, you know in in cases like that usually i'll even do it for like less money than i should be making for it but then i get told oh we're we're good we have some we have people coming in already i'm like well are they like like if, if that doesn't turn into results then like what's happening here and and they changed the wording at some point but it still was not ideal. And I can't even remember what they changed it to. I think maybe they used female identifying first. And I was like, there are some decisions about that as well, because not all of us are. Um, and and a lot of the time that's used specifically to like scapegoat trans women. And, and and some people are completely fine with it, but some people are very not. right. And so I think those were the two at play. And I can't remember which order those happened in. But like... I was like, literally, gender marginalized people is the term you want if you are really trying to include trans men and everybody else. And and, and I'm just over here being like, all right, I'll be chilling. And I don't know how I'm going to come to your conference again, which is hard because that was like one of the nicest places I've gotten to be as far as like having people who are not just in like the straight cishet white man category. And I don't know how I'm going to go back because I would really like to, but I don't want to be lumped into, hey, ladies, I'm like, hey, listen, listen, like, like, my gender is very confusing and complicated, but there's like some other stuff floating around in there that I have not yet identified, but it's definitely not all girl or no. There's, there's a lot of other stuff going on in there. (laughs) That is definitely not something I'm okay with. And you know, like, I don't, I don't even know how I would get through like the freaking welcome meeting, you know, things like that, where I'm just like, have you really thought about what it means to include these people? Have you thought about what you need to do to make sure that the groundwork is there and that they're actually going to show up and feel like they should be there and that you're happy for them to be there and that they are an important and like included part of your demographics that you were trying to capture. And like, yes, women was used as a catch-all term for a large contingent of gender marginalized people up until relatively recently, historically speaking. And yes, it is like a legal class identifier in specific ways, but that doesn't mean that you get to just put women on top of everything. Expect that all of the trans people in your community are going get, to get behind you and show up and give you the money to pay for to go to your conference and all of that. It's a lot to ask. It's it's weird because very like, you know, on site, I would be welcome into that space. But a lot of my colleagues who are also trans and non-binary would not be. And that's, you know, or people would be very like, hmm. You know, like there would be those manifestations of transphobia of like, this does not look like what I think a gender marginalized person should look like, and things like that. And I don't want to put my time and effort into organizations that are not working for them. You know, Uh, but like, especially because at the same time, I see groups who are even if incrementally working in that direction, like Fifth Wave Collective, I've worked with them a number of times. They started as like promoting women composers specifically, and I've seen them shift because they, they for the long time, their hashtag was hear her now. They've now added hear them now. I have, you know, personally, and I would have to talk to other folks who've been around that group to get like a better sense, but my journey of watching how that's evolved, you know, cause I was really scared when I came out, I was like, I'm not going to be able to like, like make music with these people anymore. And I've really liked the collaborations we've done because they've put really, really great effort into like a lot of my very trauma focused work, <laughs> uh, which is not something that I usually um, am really comfortable with as far as like, just like sending it out into the ether and they've done a really great job. Um, and I'm, you know, and so it's been really nice to be like, oh, you're like, like not only for myself, but for other people who should be in that boat of like, Getting gender marginalized composers played and things like that. You know, I'm like, I want to be able to be like, hey, all of my trans friends can go like, like go get a load of what they're doing, you know? Because we don't, we don't get to make those those recommendations as often, you know. If we want to be doing this work, we need to really focus on like community and and like connecting to the people that are around you and thinking about how you're how we're leaving people out. You know, it's it's so easy to just like hang out with the people you went to school with or the people you went to X conference with or, or whatever, right? Like whatever the case may be and and just kind of be like okay well you know these are these are my people but then like okay if we're saying we're inviting everyone to something who does everyone mean who are we forgetting who are we saying oh well you know you work in this other genre so i don't think you're gonna like this very much why are we not still reaching out and letting them make that decision for themselves like why are we not inviting the popular music program people out to go see this gig why are we not doing why are we not networking between composition majors and jazz studies majors and you know like why are we not talking to performers throughout their degrees about how to work with composers? Good Lord, like, <laughs> you know because like the the connections that you make through those things are the things that like make music fun because we all know that like five of us are gonna win orchestra jobs and the rest of us are gonna have to figure out life, right? We're very much stuck in this situation where we're we're like expected to pay into this cycle that overwhelmingly rewards people who are willing to uphold white supremacy, you know via obvious like over racism via the enforcement of the gender binary via transphobia right because a lot of those things were like reinforced by race scientists in the 18 and early 1900s to like distinguish between like white and non-white people um and, and to be like oh well you know we're superior because we can achieve this idealized like gender binary which is ridiculous and like but that's where a lot of like all of that stuff plays into then imperialism and everything else right are you being like when when you're talking about somebody's work being like not right for you are you like talking about it from a respectability standpoint from are you like being a genre purist are you just like at a point where like like me you're rehabbing injuries and you just can't do stuff i don't know if i'm ever going to have real high range and that's just something that i'm going to have to deal with and i'm probably going to end up commissioning a lot of work to like accommodate for that you know once i have Stable income. Um, (laughs) You know, and and like, how are we using all of these things and the connections that we make with each other to redefine success from beyond those really like strict standpoints of like, oh, go win the job, go do the thing, and then play the same five concerts every year for the rest of your life, like especially as a composer who works with a lot of performers who have oftentimes are like relatively new on their journey of working with composers, which is great because I get a lot of students, right? You get to like talk to them and help them figure stuff out. But you also get people who like, you know, have DMAs and are running calls for scores that I end up emailing with. Like I've, I've been doing that with a couple of groups lately of like, do you realize how much of an inconvenience you're asking for by looking for a work that's never premiered that you want exclusivity for until this point that you're like the performances of are probably not going to result in us getting more work and like it doesn't necessarily have to but if you're asking for pieces from strangers and offering relatively little tangible benefit like that's that's a big thing to ask for exclusivity for for like a really long time as far as like tangible things like commissioning is really important because it is how we a lot of us make most of our money at this point in time but also like remembering that you are going to be really helpful by not just being like, I'm going to give the first performance because a lot of things don't get second performances because everyone wants a world premiere. Nobody wants a second performance or like relatively few people, right? Ashley is one of the people that have like break the mold. I've been working on my CV because I'm applying for a couple of things and I have literally like a half page of performances of zero G on my CV. And it's a formatting nightmare in the best of ways, because you just go around and you play it at your lectures and clinics. And, and it's just, I'm like repeat performances. I saw something on Instagram the other day of like a lot of, a lot of performers, like get something ready and then only play it once. And I'm like, well, well, That's a big important part of why we get so anxious, but also why are we only playing something once? (laughs) Like, you're all gonna play Hindemith about 47 times. Play stuff more than once. Even like, I struggle to play things more than once because I'm not primarily a performer. I don't go out and book like solo gigs, right? Um, But even I find ways to play stuff. Like, I'm trying to. Like a lot of these works that I work on, I'm like, this is going to be an evolving relationship over the course of several years because I am like playing it at the point that I can right now. And then I'm going to be able to play it a little differently in two years. You know, I've been playing Velden Ended by the the Flughorn movement of Velden Ended, Adriana Holschke, for. I played it at IWBC and that was like the first big performance of it I gave. And I'm like, I, there are still like big, tangible things that I want to be able to do with that work that I've not been able to do yet. We need to be playing stuff more, you know, and, and, and if you want to really develop relationships with composers, especially marginalized composers and performers and what have you, right? Like the continuing investment in their work past a single engagement of a commission or of a, I really like your stuff, right? That, that's something that's, that's how you grow those things. And it's not just, oh, well, you know, I, I, I commissioned you once and now I'm going to like, you know, give myself a pat on the back. Like, hey, commissions are great. They're very needed. They're very important. However, you're not, it's it's much easier to be in community with people when you spend time investing in their work consistently.
0: This episode's featured work is Dreamer Precipice, a piece for bass trombone and fixed media. Performed by Nick St. Croix, this was a work written for his birthday and was included on Eris's album
2: Weakness. Some days... I like to think I saw you coming, even though I know that's a lie. There were maybes, could have beens, moments of maybe if I'd been ready. But they lived in that corner of my mind, of impossible dreams, of maybe some days, of moments of if I ever get the chance. But time and space are not kind. So I guarded my art. Some days I know I could have seen you coming. Because when I was watching you, you gazed back. There was laughter and the odd late night. There were moments where you'd give me a piece of yourself like I was supposed to have it all along. But you? quietly. space are not kind, so I'm sending a piece of me with you. is you
1: okay so how am i diversifying my stand which is kind of funny because i'm like primarily not a performer so i was like how am i answering this question i started writing like a list of like concessions i'm no longer willing to make functionally as we go back to like as close to normal life as we may ever get again things that i want to do as a teacher and as a composer and as a performer and that includes like not taking token gigs anymore when i am in the position where I can like turn down a spot on a gig or where I can, you know, like be in control of what we're doing, where not playing at places that are not uh, that are like really explicitly not disability accessible and like wheelchair accessible specifically, you know, like I, people with who need mobility, aids should still be able to come to this stuff. Or like, uh, I don't want to ever be the on, on an all-white panel. I I don't want to do it. I will turn it down and be like, hey, you need to put someone else in my spot. You know, things like that. And and making sure that I'm firming up like what I am able to do here and then figuring out how that how I can keep expanding what I'm doing as we like, you know, continue moving through the world. And uh one of those is I'm, I'm hoping that as I start, I've not been learning rep, right? I've not been working on trumpet playing pretty much at all, uh, particularly with like my TMJ has been acting up a little bit. So I've been taking most of my time off the horn for the last year, honestly. But like, I don't want, I, I would like to make sure that I'm learning rep from as, at least as many marginalized composers as I am from like white guys. And so that's, like, one of the big things as far as how I'm, like, looking at more rep. And and also, like, I'm trying to make sure that I'm engaging with people's work in performance practice beyond, uh, like, my primary instrument. Because I don't necessarily just view performing as playing trumpet because I've been dancing my whole life and playing other things and doing other things and all of that. But also because, like, oh, if I only know... Like, actually, most of the composers I know, like, don't write for my instrument or haven't written for my instrument or, you know, and I dig them because I like what they're doing. Right. Or, you know, like they've they've written for it in combination with others, but like they don't have solo stuff or they don't have chamber things that are really going to be feasible for me to play. But I'm like, okay, let me go listen to everything else. Right. Uh, like specific people that I'm looking for like either yeah, on the like commission someday when I have money list or like the I would really like to play this particular thing as it becomes available. Me uh, Mesud, who I've already mentioned has uh, a piece that's just got premiered and will probably be available i don't know when exactly it's coming out for everybody but i've already like shown up in their dms i'm like i want that as soon as when you're allowed i'm 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 taking this um (laughs) just letting you know we'll we'll be purchasing you know like i've i've been into a lot of stuff about uh like like people who've end up working with like theater and dance adjacent people and like opera adjacent people which is very much like the sphere that i would love to exist in more um like the honorable Elizabeth A. Baker, who's like one of my favorite people. And then we're just also casually Facebook friends. And I'm like, I'm going to just be normal over here, even though like, I think you're great. And like a lot of these people have like really great writing on stuff. Also, like she put out, um, And I a woman too, which oh gosh, is that on? I care if you listen, or, I think it's on new music box. Um, but that's really fantastic. She's got like a couple of books that I'm hoping that I will pick up. Once I start reading again, my brain starts working. Um, She's got like object and surface studies that I'm really, really interested in that I would love to like start looking into, like if that's something that I could maybe come back to on the earlier side of performance. Bryn Solomon is one of my like favorite follows on Twitter. Um, And uh, it's got really great writing on a whole bunch of things. Uh, It wrote a whole series for New Music Box uh, on like uh, creating a framework for responsible trans casting, particularly in like opera and music theater making stuff um and it's got like a whole song cycle about um like experiences that trans feminine people deal with and like that's it, it, that's like very deeply imbued with humor in in very queer ways and i love it um that's called defiant majestic and beautiful i have been really digging uh kate nishimura recently she's got a whole bunch of brass stuff that i've had on her website Diana Wallace is really great. She's on Twitter. I found that's where I found her. Uh, but she's got like a really great piece for like cello. It's just beautiful. It does really great stuff with like open strings. And Alex Temple is on faculty at ASU and she joined not too long after I left. And I'm like, God, that would have been the best. And she's like one of my favorite people. And like, you know, when I was like starting to find people who actually talk about being trans and composing, she was one of the first people that I found. And you know. Um, and she's got a really great piece for trombone. But I also like people that have been digging into, um, like, ideas or, like, subject matter that I really like. Uh, one of my friends from Cal Arts, Tanner Pfeiffer, uh, has a piece that I don't know if he's given to anybody else. I've seen him perform it twice, once in a, like, fully lit classroom and once on his uh, graduation recital called Murdered Like Me, which is, uh, it's for, like, uh, voice and uh, viola, and he does both. And it's it's like talking. It, it takes you through all of these ways in which like gay and queer men have been murdered, and and like contextualizing that within like a very queer lens. And it I I I've heard it, and and both times I was just like, well, god damn, that's that's good. I yeah, that's one of those pieces that I like walk out and then I have to think about life for a while. I've been meaning to learn Wild Winged One by Liza Lim literally since the first year of my master's, and I've not been at the point where I can attempt it. And if I can get my high range working again, at least a tiny, tiny bit, I'm 100% going to do it because it's so cool. The whole ski felt an end, and ended, I'm still really like. Digging, I will probably always be working on that piece because I think there's just so many things that you can do with it. But then I also try to make sure that I'm like listening to musicologists and folks who are doing stuff like that too. Um, Matthew Morrison's Black Sound essay has been uh, really pivotal for me as far as my teaching um, because he talks about like how minstrelsy is like, like the the specific ways in which minstrelsy is like directly connected to like the the appropriation and development of like. Uh, and, and like you know forced removal of the blackness in some cases from black aesthetics in um popular music and that's you know i i teach rock and hip hop like we <laughs> i open both of those classes with that essay now um and like i have a whole powerpoint um uh, uh imani mosley's been writing some really cool stuff about um like I have one of her essays on like uh BLM and say her name and like black death and necropolitics and performance. And I, it's, it's so cool. Like all of it is just like, there's, there's all of these folks who are doing really, really amazing work. And you know, like I'm, really lucky that I also am around people like Christy J. Wells who is one of my music history teachers and is one of the reasons that I can do what I do today because I was like I gender question mark when we were doing term papers and they were like okay so here's like three dissertations that you'll probably want and like sort of the rest is history from there um, because it was one of those first moments where I was like wait you mean people are like writing about this like all of this bullshit that I'm putting up with people are like academizing it and doing this stuff and and uh, like I can I can read about it and by people who are not going to gaslight me that was that was really pivotal and and so I I've been very lucky to be around folks like that and that's that's a lot of the work that I've been doing has uh, almost more to do with like what I do outside of like when I come into practice whether I'm composing or playing or whatever and, and making sure that I'm prepared to address like the implications in the music that aren't just in the music, but in who's allowed to make it and why.
0: Thanks so much for joining us. This has been
1: great. Yeah, well, oh, thank you. This is, I have not gotten to do something like this since I came out. A huge
0: thank you to Eris for joining us today for all of Eris links and recommended resources. Check out the podcast notes or our website and tune in next week for two weeks worth of Carrie and I recapping our second season and saying nice things about our guests. Thank you for listening to diversify the stand. I'm Ashley. And I'm Carrie. If you'd like to support us and our projects, find us on social media and visit our website. We now have a store where you can pick up some diversify the stand gear. And as always a huge thank you to Trevor Weston and Whitney George for allowing us to use their compositions in our podcast. The musical introduction is Trevor's trumpet duet, Fanfare for Changes, and the ending music is Whitney's Incantations for Trumpet and Piano. Both composers' websites are listed in the podcast description. Until next week, what's on your stand?